This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. As you scale your business, at some point you recognize that I think there's more to lose. So the, the stress level is different. You're listening to Crazy Smart Asia, a podcast exploring the unexpected stories of Asia's disruptors. When was the last time you needed quick access to expertise to help you move forward? And if you're running a business, maybe the question should be, when was the last time today? Whether you're running an SME or a global multinational, all leaders need tailored business intelligence to help them chart the right course. In today's hyper-connected world, where everyone has access to millions of data points, having the right insights can mean the difference between failure and success. Which explains why entrepreneur Peggy Choi's knowledge-as-a-service platform Link has grown so rapidly, doubling its workforce to 250 people across eight countries in the last two years, and raising US$29 dollars in a Series B round earlier in 2021. But even when you have more than 840,000 experts in your network, there are still some things you have to figure out on your own, like how to build a company culture over Zoom, how to navigate early fundraising rounds as a female founder, and how to grow as a leader and a person at the same breakneck speed as your company. Peggy discusses how she overcame these hurdles and more in a contemplative conversation with Jen T. Slee Williamson. On top of that, the pair also discuss skateboards, the importance of a permanent beta mindset, and why founders always need to be mindful of the toilet paper. Here's our conversation. Peggy Choi, thank you so much for joining me on Crazy Smart Asia. It's always great to see you. It was great to see you too. Um, if you're game, I want to start with like 10 quick fire questions. Sure. A couple of these are some things I asked you three years ago, so I'm curious to see how your answers the same have answer? changed. <laughs> yeah, and some of them are brand new. Okay, let's go. Number one, what's non-negotiable for you in business? Excellence. Oh, you did say that three years ago. Explain what you do in one sentence. Knowledge as a service platform. What's the last book you read? Tetla. what's the first job you ever had retail assistant classic where do you seek inspiration in the shower this is quite cliche but I do get a lot of ideas when I take a shower (laughs) how many times do you shower a day (laughs) I take long showers every day apart from family what or who is the greatest love of your life Mm, art Oh, yeah, we'll get into that later. Mm. Uh, what do you do to relax? So I picked up pottery recently. You know, I mentioned skateboarding. I think that the common point across all these things is, uh, you know, activities where I, I don't have access to my phone. Right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's sound advice. Why skateboarding? Skateboarding, because I was very, really inspired at, uh, by the Olympics. Right. But you know you're a little bit, maybe you might have aged <laughs> out of the competitive range. 
<laughs> well, never, never too old, right? No, never too old. But yeah, your competitors will be twelve, and they will beat you. <laughs> um, okay, what's the most counterintuitive thing that's actually true in life or business? Um, there is no right or wrong. Interesting. What productivity hacks do you swear by? Checklist. Okay. Last time I asked you this three years ago, you said chatting to people. Hmm. Would you still stand by that now? I mean, your company's grown a lot more now. I'm sure you're probably a lot busier than you were then. Do you still have time to chat, to learn things from people? It's still true. I have less time for it, but it's still true. Okay. All right. Congratulations, you passed the quickfire round. <laughs> okay. I know the story, but I'm not going to ask any leading questions, Peggy. But tell our listeners uh, the story of how you founded Link. Mm. How did you found your company? Right. Um, I don't know whether I told you every single detail, but uh, but it was it was actually a pretty fun experience starting uh, the company back then because um, I had uh, taken a bit of a leap of faith. I left my job first, uh, took a kind of a bit of belated gap year, mm. uh, spent nine months, I think, traveling. Um, all over Asia because I was primarily working in US and Europe back then mm. and uh, so 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 families in Hong Kong but I haven't spent too much time in Asia um, since I started working and um, that nine months basically um, had a lot of um, meetings with different people you know that whole chatting with different people kind yeah. of um, so um, chatting again right <laughs> you really learn about like say hey what are you know what are these interesting things that people are doing and new ways of doing things that you have never seen before um, so um, that basically I think that period of time I had like 20 ideas a day probably mm. um, but always come you back to notebook? <laughs> I have a good checklist okay. <laughs> of that and um, uh, I think I always sort of come back to this concept of uh you know, if if you could talk to the right person to learn, to like, you know, ask questions, great. Um, but how do you do that, um, you know, well and do that efficiently and sort of, you know, solving also a lot of the problems that I was facing when I was um, an investor and you know, trying to learn about different markets, different industries, it's always difficult. Mm. Uh, the best way was just talking to people from the, from the, from the space on the ground. Um, and I was also inspired by my parents at the time. Um, they they were still working back then and um, running their own art gallery. And a lot of uh, the challenges that they face as a small business is how do they do something that they have not done before? Uh, mm-hmm. I remember very clearly there was this one time when they called me out of ball, out of the blue and and uh, was trying to find out how do they run this trade show in Amsterdam. Right. Um, and and they don't they don't speak English. Mm-hmm. So they have a pretty hard time trying to find like somebody on the ground there mm. uh, to help them out, and uh, I had to pull a lot of strings to find to help them find um, people that they could talk to um, mm. to get help there. Uh, so, so that's something that I feel like, hey, if we can uh, uh, realize sort of what we're thinking here in terms of what the future of can be um, so, enabled by Link. So um, that was a light bulb moment. You're like, hey, people yeah. need these access to information, expertise. People need connections. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. It was as simple as that. It was like a ding. Was it a ding moment oh, or did it come over it time? It was ding. And then I realized, okay, it's probably difficult, <laughs> quite difficult to do. Because yeah. if you think about it, what does that mean? Like what is, who who knows what is probably pretty, if you think about it, I mean, maybe nerdy here, but like think about it mathematically is a pretty tough formula to solve. Mm. You know, because uh, it's not like you go from A to B and then the, the quickest route. But you'd identified the problem at least. Correct. And that's big part of the struggle, Correct. right? Any entrepreneur will tell you. Um, 
you quit your job, as you say, and took a leap. How hard was that to go from, um, you know, secure income to, to kind of, you know, not knowing what the, the next year or two holds? Right. Um, so I feel like I'm probably, I was probably pretty blessed, I think, um, in that period of my life. I think uh, it was at a stage where if um, I continued to pursue the career that I had, I had to commit. And, and, and go all the way, basically. It was at that stage of that career. Mm. And um, on the flip side, I think my family, they never gave me any pressure. It's a lot of um, the family members, whether it's my parents or like, you know, all my relatives, uh, they're all entrepreneurs, actually, most mm. of them. So um, they were very happy, actually, that uh, I, I, I left uh, the full-time job to, to start on my own. So it wasn't a difficult decision for me, actually. Interesting. I once implied... Um, I don't know if you remember, we were walking down the street after having lunch a few months ago, and I once implied that maybe you got into banking at first. It might have been the result of parental pressure. And you very <laughs> gleefully told me, like, hey, don't give me that, you know, don't put that cliche on me. Um, you said I was raised a hippie. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> exactly. So my dad's a professional artist. Yeah. My mom was a fashion designer. Um, so they actually never told me to get into finance or investment. So they're like, what the hell's our daughter doing <laughs> in a bank? Yeah, exactly. I don't think they, they, they understood what that is. Maybe they, they thought that I'm just uh, day trading every day. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, what was it like being constantly measured working in the finance industry to kind of starting to measure success on your own terms? What is that scary, all of a sudden being unleashed in that way? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think... Uh, I would think I would say that when I was in finance, yes, there might be some sort of a quote unquote measurement, but I don't think that's how I conducted myself. Mm. I think I'm always quite just focusing on just doing good work on my own. Mm. I guess. Um, so I don't think I thought about it in that way. Right. Yeah. But is that daunting in the very early days when it's just you and an idea, or you and a couple of people and an idea, and the beginnings of a business? Because there's five different directions you can take it in today, and then tomorrow there'll be fifteen. <laughs> figuring out like how you want to measure what success looks like and and what problems specifically you want to solve. Uh, I think I was probably more excited by it than say scared by it. I would say now. When the company is bigger, the business is bigger, there's more people relying on you, there's more to lose, and hence, actually, there's more of that, uh, quote-unquote, uh, pressure now. Mm. But at the early days, actually, it's probably more excitement than that. So what's the difference between back then and back now, fundamentally? Um, fundamentally, as you scale your business, at some point, you recognize that, I think, there's more to lose. So the the stress level is is different, right? And I think um, the 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 there was a period of time when I all of a sudden I realized that oh, I'm not just a founder, I'm not just an entrepreneur, I'm a boss. Mm. Like people are looking up to me for guidance. Did you change the way that you acted? Yeah, I have to think twice about what I say and what I um, talk about and how I convey things. Um, so um, definitely a, 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 a growth journey for myself, yeah. How's that changed the dynamic? Because when you're three people in a tiny room, you know each other intimately. You know, each other, you know everyone who works your company really well. Now you can't possibly do that. Yes. How does that change the way that you lead people <laughs> when you can't know everyone, even everyone's name? Right. And um, I think in the early days, let's say, you know, less than 30 people, less than 50 people, I think you, you people know you and you know indivi- people individually. Um, that personal relationship is a good 
I would say, foundation and buffer for tough conversations. Mm. Um, let's say performance conversation or um, certain things that you're expecting, but um, um, you know have yet to be delivered. Like you know, this kind of conversation, having a personal relationship that's uh, a foundation for 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 that conversation is is just making makes things easier. Makes uh, things easier. So. Yeah. I would have thought it would be the other way around. Like, if it was less personal, mm. it'd, be e- it'd be easier to have difficult conversations. But if you know someone personally, it'd be more difficult to have these conversations. For you, it's the other way around. For me, it's the other way around because I think a lot of times it's about understanding the other person's motivations mm. and, and what they care about, how they are like. Because, like, you know, something that um, I was having a conversation with um, another founder the other day that, you know, management style leadership, I think. To me, it's it's not it's not about having an absolute style. Mm. I think it's about understanding who you are dealing with. <laughs> Adaptive leadership. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important because not ev- like everyone is different, right? There's like a thousand shades to how uh, how 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 one gets the motivation from. Mm. So 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 I think in order to be effective, is is that you need to understand and know the other person. So as the business grows, obviously it's not possible for you to have that, have that one-on-one relationship. I mean, to the extent possible, I still try to do that. But again, it's not it's not something that um, um, is as um, um, effective as, as the early days. Yeah. Did it feel awkward wearing that mask? Like, <laughs> or did you even feel like you were wearing a mask? You, you kind of said like you had to kind of act the part to begin with. How, how was that going from being your true true self to like becoming a, a boss, becoming like what a, you felt a CEO should act like? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a mask or anything, but I think it's it's that I I have changed too. Mm. I have developed as a person. Um, uh, I think you just you still try to have to be authentic because I mean, people are very smart. I mean, they know, mm. um, and and you wouldn't, I think, be. Uh, happy either if if you feel like you have to behave like another person right. when you're working like so many hours a day, right. right? When you're at work so many hours a day. So I think it's about understanding who you are and and finding that balance. Yeah, but I do I do certainly have to be a bit more thoughtful and intentional in terms of um, how 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 I would position and convey certain things. <clears throat> and and the starting point is always about. What would be effective um, with the audience? How does the stress change when you go from worried to worrying about you and a couple of people and I don't know paying rent next month or whatever <laughs> to like being responsible for hundreds of people and their livelihoods and their families? Right, they're both stressful situations, right? How does that change? Exponentially. <laughs> well, obviously, you're, you're totally right. I mean, because I think that aspect, I'm not sure if, um, say, um, people that are, are thinking about starting up would recognize before it's a reality that, hey, a lot of people depend on you. Um, while you're giving people job opportunities, people are also choosing to work with you. So um, it's definitely a, a stress uh, that you've got to be able to grapple with mm. uh, and hopefully in a productive way and serve as a motivation. Um, but I do think that that's the other aspect of entrepreneurship that um, it's, it's probably we should have more conversations about. So we touched upon it uh, before. Your platform connects people with experts and the expertise they need to solve problems and, and move forward. What is the value of connections in life in general, do you think? Mm-hmm. I think this is also a particularly appropriate question now, given the pandemic and mm. how 
how we've been trying to still connect with people, even though virtually a lot of times. And uh, it's incredibly important because I think that's how we de- how we grow, yeah. how we learn. You don't have all the time in the world. And the way you can develop yourself and um, grow your experiences, other than experiencing things yourself, is to talk to people. So I think getting connecting, getting connected to other people and having conversations, always a great way to grow. So you founded Link on your own, right? Sole founder, mm-hmm. um, and you now have co-founders. We have co-founders. Yes, have co-founders. yes, two co-founders. But yeah. at first, you went alone. In what ways is that easier? Uh, being a singular founder uh, in the early days, and in what ways does that make things more of a struggle? Um, I don't think maybe there's. I don't think there's is better or worse. I guess in a way, though. Um, what was what was good? I guess um, in in that experience of starting, going ahead, and just get getting started first was that I was able to attract people that were interested in what I was doing. So, so instead of say, hey, finding the partner first and then discussing what would be appealing to, let's say, the both of us or, or the three of us um, in a common way, I think might have been more efficient. I guess that mm-hmm. way because we we already had something that started, right? Um, and uh, it's it's a good way to um, attract the right people to join you. The second season of Crazy Smart Asia is sponsored by BNP Paribas Wealth Management. We live in a dynamic and ever-changing world where innovation leads the way, a world facing unprecedented challenges. We need to change the way we create and consume to fuel the next wave of change and build a brighter, more sustainable tomorrow. BNP Paribas Wealth Management is proud to support Crazy Smart Asia on its mission to tell the stories of inspiring leaders who are doing just that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As we've touched upon before, and we'll talk about it again in a little bit, you've grown incredibly quickly uh, in the past few years. What's the toughest setback you faced during that time, though? Um, mm. Aside from all the, the rosy periods, I imagine there must have been some thorny periods as well, whether it be like some negative feedback, that, you know, some, someone respected in the industry gave you or there's a product launch failure. What was the toughest setback you faced and, and how did you overcome it? Mm. Uh, I think every day there's some sort of a setback in some ways and there's right. some sort of achievements in some other ways. Right. So um if you talk about something major, I wouldn't say major in a in a sort of um, business sense, but major I would say in a awareness um, um, as a, as a as a founder, which is I think when when you first 
um, made your first hire or acquire your first customer or um, 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 the first, uh, say, um, um, complaint, right, or the first uh, uh, resignation. I think these are all like um, experiences that make you make you think. Um, how can you better um, improve what you do? Mm. I think those would be the moment where I would say I wouldn't call it setback, but really make me think um, and internalize um, how I can do better as a founder. Is there a specific example you can that comes to mind? Um, so I think. I guess uh, uh, one of the one of the key thing that we 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 have to keep doing is um, establishing new markets. So we have now launched in um, India, China, North America. We also have office in Singapore. So every time when we start a new office, um, it's not exactly that straightforward. Um, you know, it's not overnight. It, it takes a bit of time to get the right mm-hmm. team in place, um, and always there's some sort of um, iteration at the start. And um, I think that's something that, um, you know, we realize that it's hard to get it to a perfect kind of formula. Um, It's all about really finding the right team, finding the right people to help you get that new market started. Is that the biggest growing pain, getting the right people? Yes. At the right time? Yes, that's right. What have you learned over the years about how to identify the people that are right for you? I, I imagine you, like every entrepreneur, made some mistakes in the early days. Yeah. Um. What have you learned from those? And is this, it's no exact science, right? But what have you learned in terms of like finding the right people right. that you need to take you forward? Yeah. I mean, as you're asking me that question, I'm thinking there's finding, then there's retaining mm. um, and, and motivating, right? So I think finding, it comes down to whether or not your vision is clear, whether or not the people um, get attracted to that vision, um, and you want the you want individuals that are attracted to the vision, not just because they want quote unquote a, a career in a startup. Mm. You want people to actually who 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 are actually firm believer in what you do, because that firm belief is what can um, help the individuals sustain through uh, painful periods, right? Mm. Like so, or stress, generally speaking, because startup with that kind of growth expectation, um, um, you know, sometimes you have to you have to look at doubling your business within a certain period of time, and and that you've got to go at more than organic speed, basically. Mm. So, so, so you need so, something so, extra from the people. Exactly. So I think that that um, belief in that in the the belief in the the vision is very important. So is that what you look? So I understand why that's important for retention. So is that what you're trying to look for mm. when you're going through the interview process? Right, that's right. How do you identify that through interviews? <laughs> that's the million dollar question, right? Yeah. How do you do that? I think sometimes it comes through quite clearly in the questions that the candidates ask. Mm. If an individual really care about what you are trying to solve for, they would have questions that are more in line with that. Mm. Um, if the individuals are more focused on um, the career itself, questions line of question would be more focused on that. Um, and I'm not saying that right now we're not um, hiring people that uh, are focusing on building, you know, a great career in, in their startups. I think sure. we would very welcome, we would very much welcome the talents as well. But at the same time, I think it, it is it's about, um, um, you know, how much of that um, motivation, uh, personal level um, that can be aligned with the business. I think it is, at some level it makes a difference. Mm. So one of the um, the growing pains that you and any fast-growing startup such as Link will, will suffer, as we say, is growing quicker than the, and not having the people in place yet. Mm. I guess on the other side of the coin, sometimes um, 
you also have a situation where the startup outgrows the capabilities of the earlier hires that you have. How do you deal with that? Hmm. Um, we have seen both a bit of a mix. Um, even myself, to be honest, is I think um, some areas I feel like I've been growing the business. Some areas I feel like, oh, well, I've got to step up. <laughs> you feel like you're dragging back your own business like occasionally? Um, is that what you're saying? Uh, different ways. I mean, because we're not, we're all like not perfect. I think mm. there will be strengths and weaknesses. I think everybody. So um, for us, so far has been about putting people in positions that's the best fit for their strengths and also the areas that they would like to develop. Um, we have had actually a lot of staff that have gone through um, different roles in the company. Mm. Um, and many of our, I would say, quote, unquote, first generation or first hire still with us. Mm, that's and great. In, in different roles. You don't see that roles. a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I suppose if you weren't good at connecting people with knowledge and experts and the tools they need to to learn, then you wouldn't be being really be linked, would you? <laughs> exactly. I guess we've got to we've got to be good at that ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It's on on brand for you, Peggy. How important is company culture to the success of Link and to the success of any business? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's is crucial to any organization, whether it's business or you know trade groups, chambers, schools, right, family. And I think we touched upon a little bit um, in in the last couple of minutes. What I'm keen to really get to the nub of is. Do you think company culture emerges organically, like beyond the founding team's control, or is it cultivated by yourself and the leadership team? Probably both, because it comes down to also the people that you hire as well. Right. Because, I mean, you know, it's like uh, the thing about, you know, in dating, personal relationship, there's mm. only that much you can change somebody, <laughs> right? Sure. <laughs> it's, it's really about who, who, who you bring in, but you've got to be intentional about what culture you want to build. But at the same time, um, have to understand that it's not you can't have full control over it as well. Mm. Um, so how do you steer it? I guess. Yeah. There's also only so much you can learn about someone from a first date or a Tinder dating <laughs> profile, right? That's right. Um, so, how many employees do you have now, in how many countries? What are we your have numbers? Two hundred and fifty across eight locations. And what were your numbers like two years ago? Hmm. Perhaps hundred or so, less than half. So you've doubled in in a couple of years, right? Um, and in eight uh, different countries, as yeah. you said. Yeah. So, what efforts do you do you and the team go to to grow the culture that you want to see in your business? And and how much more of a challenge is it to do it remotely? Because obviously, you'd have to be doing it remotely to some regards anyway. But in the time of the pandemic, you have no choice but to. What have you learned in in trying to build a company culture through Zoom? Yeah, it's been, um, I think, difficult for a lot of businesses um, um, in terms of onboarding, especially onboarding new staff during the period of time. And I think the um, what we're trying to do now, um, and actually before we, we did the same, which is to have existing team be the ones that's establishing new market. And uh, so, you know, someone, you know, in your Hong Kong office um, would go over to India and get, that, get things started. Mm. Um, and um, recently we have, been scaling North America mm. and how we approach that it was it's actually a bit more difficult for us for North America of visa and all that kind of um, immigration mm. hurdles um, for existing staff to move over and just get things started so um, we try to do a bit of a combination so while while we have people travel over to the extent possible uh, we also make sure that uh, on the ground we um, can onboard leaders that have alignment with how we think about business and think about culture mm. So, like, what steps do, do you and does Link take to, to nurture that? Like, any kind of 
you know difficult to grow plants it needs love and care right like what 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 do you do to make sure that that's developing as you wanted to develop mm. it's uh we have this concept called pers- permanent permanent beta Oh, interesting. I was going to ask you about that next question. <laughs> Great. Tell me about permanent beta. So it's that you're constantly and always in beta. You're always testing. You're always improving and trying to find bugs that you can fix. Mm. So I feel like this question on culture, it's you're never at a perfect spot with it because it's such a subjective yeah. thing. And actually. it changes as people change. Correct. And also as an organization go from 50 people to 200 people mm. to when we are 1000, um, you're going to require different kind of micro culture and right. firm wide culture. And uh, different teams also depends on different roles. You might also want um, to have um, different kind of capabilities, different kind of talents coming in. So things will change. And I think permanent aid beta is, is the right mindset here to think about culture. Mm. And I'm sure it's much easier to do when you're yeah, 25, 50 people. How do you maintain that when you're <laughs> growing to 200 people? Because it's easy as a startup to be constantly testing, yeah. iterating, changing, being agile. Yeah. It's not as easy for GlaxoSmithKline to do that. Yeah. Right. So how do you... How do you continue to do that as you get as you get bigger? Yeah, it's definitely difficult. I think as you grow um, in scale, definitely is tougher. Uh, so you're definitely right on that. Uh, what we can do is keep trying, keep focusing on it, and keep mm. evangelizing that concept. Mm. And um, I think it only works. It's not just myself that's holding myself and other people accountable on it, and that everybody's holding each other accountable on that. Mm. So um, it's what we're trying to promote. It kind of comes from the top in a way. Mm-hmm. You need to kind of have that sense of, mm-hmm. of it. And you kind of mentioned it before as well in that you were willing to admit the fact that you're not perfect <laughs> and there's some certain elements where you need to get up to speed. Yeah. Right? right? So you need to be constantly working on self-improvement as well as thinking about what you can improve from the business. Right. What are you working on improving right now? Skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> and business-wise? Business-wise, um, I think... The hiring, I think we can still do a better job on that. Mm. Um, I think uh, as the company grow, the level of um, expertise that we need in different areas is is um, uh, getting more and more specialized. Is in early days right. when you have ten people, everybody needs to be generalist. Mm. And as you get to the the, the stage of two hundred, three hundred people in different markets doing different functions, uh, you really need um, functional expertise. Mm. So we were in 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 the process of scaling into all these different um, areas that would bring the company to the next stage. Okay. Um- so you had a massive vision from day one, as we've just touched upon it. Like, no biggie. All you want to do is give every person on the planet access to infinite knowledge and expertise. Like, that's huge. You weren't, it wasn't even as simple as like, oh, I want to get like a taxi on my phone, which, you know, is a big company and a big idea, but it's relatively small compared to like the sum of human knowledge available to anybody. Um, how did you get VCs on board in the early days when you were going to them, like, as you know, a couple of person-sized companies saying we're going to do this. What obstacles did you face to get them on board for that kind of early seed round that you had in that Series A back in 2017? Um, it wasn't easy at all. Um, and in the early days in Asia, um, we because we have been a B two B primarily B two B business, mm. and uh, it's it's not some it wasn't something that was hot in uh, when we started. 
Um, and um, only recently, I would say, these past two years, that B two B is getting more attention, mm. um, and it's it's now then becoming a hot sector. So 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 it wasn't easy at all. But I think it's about um, in a way. I think the the the, the positive side that comes from this is that the, the future is high. Mm. So meaning meaning investors that come through, um, they 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 have they're they're still with us today. Um, firm supporter and big fan. We'll be right back with Lee and Peggy. But first, let's hear from Lemuel Lee, BNP Paribas Wealth Management's head of Hong Kong market. He talks to Lee about the power of connections and the substantial uptick in venture funding in 2021. We talked to Peggy about Link's fundraising success this year. Now, 2021 has been a record-breaking year for venture funding. Prior to this year, global funding had not gone above 100 billion USD in a single quarter. It has every single quarter this year, hitting 160 billion in Q3. Is this a trend you expect to continue? Growth in global venture capital market has been a record high, which is supported by, one, a substantial amount of dry powder available in the market, creating domination of mega deals. Two, increase of new unicorn companies, and three, robust profitable exits, which then further attracts reinvestments and new institutional and private investors. These trends are expected to continue, which will support the continuing growth and fundraising of the global venture capital market in the near to medium term. Peggy startup Link connects businesses with the expertise they need to grow. In today's fast-paced world, is the power of connections more valuable than ever? Absolutely. In a world today where capital is abundant and readily available, hard choices needs to be made. Valuation may not be the most important factor. What is more in the balance will be whether an investor be a long-term partner and the benefits that they may bring, such as access to strategic partners, opening doors to new markets, sources of acquisition, recruitment senior management, and advising on potential exits. All these connections can offer a lot more synergy to a company beyond pure capital. Peggy's company has grown quickly. How does BNP Paribas Wealth Management help its clients handle sudden and large growth in their portfolios? Companies go through various stages of growth, from fundraising, cash management, to monetization and exits. We also understand that managing 1 million is very different to 1 billion. This is due to the liquidity, size and products which clients will have access to in the market. Larger sizes tend to have access to institutional products and more bespoke solutions, like a dedicated discretionary portfolio manager. At BNP Paribas Wealth Management, we offer customized portfolio management, which will be unique to each client stage of their entrepreneur and business journey. And now, back to the show. So you had some struggles in those early days you just mentioned, but not this year, not recently. In January, you announced you'd raised $24 million in Series B, USD. And then in September, you announced an expansion of that with uh, funding from UBS, uh, raising, taking the total funding to $35 million in 2021. So clearly no problems now. <laughs> What's the secret to successful fundraising? Is a question everybody in the world wants to know, particularly our listenership. I think it's about a very similar thing to about hiring. Because it's actually at the end of the day, it's about attracting people to join your journey. And I think it's, it's, it's about having the clear vision and be able to articulate that. And uh, having having a high filter is actually, I now on hindsight, is actually the right thing to do. Because um, you want people to be ready to be with you for the long term. Mm, okay. I guess you need to be, you need to become 
you need to go from being someone who's good at finance and, and, and running a company to being an excellent public speaker as well, right? <laughs> what are the skills do you need to pick up as an entrepreneur that you just, you don't think a part of the skill set that all of a sudden you're like, oh, if I'm going to convince these people to invest in me, I need to be a good public speaker. I need to be charming. I need to, you know, what are the other things that you didn't think you'd have to learn to do as a startup founder that you've learned to do? A psychologist. <laughs> lawyer, accountant, <laughs> everything. <laughs> so, seriously, lawyer, accountant, what else? Uh, I had to buy toilet papers <laughs> in the initial days for what? my Singapore team. <laughs> grocer? That's right, grocer. Why? So, um, well, in the early days, right, uh, we had a Singapore office and a Hong Kong office. I remember our team there um, at a the time, they were, they were really cute, actually, like, you know, really uh, loyal staff and very, very, um, you know, loyal, loyal, dedicated. And, um, and and at the time, I was splitting time between Hong Kong and Singapore. Mm. I remember there was this one time where it was like two weeks past. I was in Hong Kong. I came back to Singapore and it was like, hey, guys, I remember before I left, I mentioned that you guys should probably replenish the supply here. <laughs> That did not happen. And, uh, you know, so basically my co-founder and I just went out and, and, and got more toilet paper. So I, I still remember that to this day. So like nanny <laughs> as well. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> what were those early days like when you were kind of bootstrapping? Like what else, you know, paint me a picture. What, what else did it look like when, you know, you were trying to make a lot on like a small budget? We, um, our office space at a time, um, we started obviously in a typical story like cafes, right? You, mm-hmm. you you worked out of cafe, and then you know when we started, you know um, having three or four people, we had to rent um, office uh, office space, and it's you know how you see these stories about Hong Kong living spaces, and mm-hmm. and you have like one apartment divided into nine. It's like one of those spaces. Wow. <laughs> so so it's literally I think the size of this table, and we had to fit three people in it. Oh my luckily, God. I'm not that tall, so I guess it was fine. So you could crouch in. Um, any other stories? This is fascinating. I think for people that like are starting out themselves and are you know crumped into coffee shops or whatever, it's kind of heartening to know that people that are now you know at the point that you're at had these stories. Any other stories? Like what else was it like in the early days? You told me you were sharing <laughs> hotel rooms. Yeah, we were sharing hotel rooms. We were sharing hotel rooms for for the first couple of years. Um, so I remember the first business trip. Uh, with my co-founder in Shanghai, and that w- during the trip we also made our first um, customer call, Whoa. like calling our first customer, and um, my co-founder was the one doing the call, so she wrote down her script, like key talking points, mm. and sort of half an hour before the call, she was like getting ready and getting a bit nervous. I was really nervous as well, so I was like, you know, walking around behind her and like trying to wait for the call to happen. <laughs> so she turned around and said, "Peggy, I think you should go down for a coffee. I just mm. need space." <laughs> So the funny thing was I went out for a coffee and, and, you know, 6 p.m., you know, with time for the call, I got a text message from my co-founder and guess what? Um, Internet was down. No. <laughs> the client was like, oh, can you call me back another, you know, two hours later? No. <laughs> so it was a bit anticlimactic. Uh, but Which, of know, course, in the early days, you're like, sure, of course. <laughs> exactly. Whatever you need. Exactly. But uh, actually, it was, it, was, it, was a bit, it was quite helpful because I think, like, you know, that, that stress was over at the time, right? You know, because you can't be stressed for, like, three hours. Right, right, right. So uh, it went really well. It was our first customer. Oh, it came through? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so by customer 345, maybe have your own hotel rooms. <laughs> um, do you think founders these days have the same experience? 
Mm-hmm. Do you think early stage founders these days have the same experiences as you did back then? Um, I think probably many. Um, at the same time, I think what has changed um, recently is, is the level of funding um, that um, goes into startup. I think if you are interested in starting up and if your vision and your business idea um, is, should, is a good fit for venture funding and you're able to raise it, um, you probably will 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 have less of a uh, 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 sort of that that suffering that you've got to go through initially, which um, you know I think pros and cons. You know I mm. think I think that was the experience. I think from for me and my co-founders were truly bonding experiences. Right. Yeah. So fundraising is kind of rocket fuel for startups, right? There's uh you know growth is faster, but expectations are higher. Um, there's many different ways to to launch a business, and you talked about this in the past. Like if you could go back. Would you go that route again? And what advice would you have for entrepreneurs at the beginning of their fundraising journey, whether they're considering whether to go the VC route or not? The way I started Link initially, um, probably a little bit more organic, I would say, in the initial year or so. Mm. And um, if I were going to have to redo that whole journey again from the start, I might have had more of a set action plan for that year one mm. um, and it was a little bit more of an exploration I think year one for, my, for me and uh, that would be I would say the one thing but I don't think it was a regret in any way because that was a um, good period for us to also um, really find the direction right mm. so you whether deliberately or not you spent that year finding the direction before you started to seek capital yes right sounds super smart <laughs> now yeah but uh at the time we were exploring yeah and uh, to be honest um i was at a stage of my career that i think i i have i had the confidence that we can figure it out mm. i think that was important because i think if i didn't have that it might have been a tough year mm. Mm. in uh an interview uh last year with uh gen digital editor sam top you also talked about some of the um issues that female founders in particular face fundraising i imagine that's not something you come across at all now but can you tell us a little bit about or is it you just raised your eyebrows okay well why don't you tell that's really interesting actually um to know and clearly that's me showing my biases there can you tell me how how that has changed then if it hasn't disappeared because of your success how was that the, the the tone of that changed yeah it's um, a bit of a different bias now if 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 we kind of look at it kind of more of a macro sense is that I think um, investors are seeking female founders to fund. Mm. So it's a bit of a <laughs> different kind of bias. Um, so um, I think um, it's, a, it's a tough question because startup and venture is one where, especially in the early stages, you just don't have a lot of um, numbers or, 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 or um, data to show investors. So investors are backing you as a person. Mm. Um, so I think naturally because of that, um, there's some level of um, subjectivity in that decision. Mm. And I think it comes down to, um, again, finding the right fit. Who can you work with? Um, who you work well with? Mm. And uh, we had to deal with that early stages. Yes, I think a lot less um, now for sure. Um, and I think um, we would still see some um, unintended sort of biases in, in, in various ways, but I don't think um, it's um, um, anything negative. Um, 
Why is it biased is such as what and why isn't it negative? <laughs> There's a lot of emphasis on diversity and inclusion currently. Um, so again, investors seeking to fund female founders. So I guess it's a it's a it's a positive. So positive. <laughs> so you've noticed the um the landscape shifting yes. since you began Link. Yes, that's right. Do you think that's attributed to the fact that you now have the numbers and the success to it? Do you think female founders who don't have the numbers yet, who are starting out, still have the same issues? I think whether whatever type of founders you are, I think you have to at that beyond the the idea phase, you've got to show traction or or vision or idea or product or revenue, whatever your metric is. I think um, without that, I don't think any biases helps or hurt. Peggy, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions to ask everybody on this podcast. Mm. You're a successful person. A lot of people want to reach your level of success and don't. Um, what's the difference that's got you to where you are today? What's one decision that you've made or quality you've adopted or quality you've just possessed that you think has got the difference to that's made you who you are and got you to where you are today? Excellence. <laughs> well, I think I always come down to that word. And to me, culture is also excellence. I think it's it's just my personal culture, I guess, if, you, if we can call something like, 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 like you know, like that. And um, I think doing good work is just, I think, respect for your own time and other people's time. You don't have, you know, your whole lifetime um, that you can spend on one thing or, or even just a few things, right? So I think it's about, you know, doing the best you can. And when you say excellence, you're not being egotistical and saying, like, I am excellent. You're, you're talking about the pursuit of excellence, right? Yes, and not right. accepting anything less. That's right. How do you, how does that manifest itself in the way that you work? In the way that you are? I guess it's um, tied to the concept we were talking about earlier, the personal, uh, uh, per, per, uh, permanent beta, mm. right? Is is that understanding, like, is, is to strive for excellence, um, to be more specific, um, like you said, it's is that you don't you don't you don't you have a certain kind of um, expectation for yourself for your output uh, for what you can achieve, and you try to get there. Mm. Um, I think that's been something. I think that's I think you know since young I have that mindset. So whether you just got your first customer or whether you just like went public, you need humility. Is what I'm getting. Mm. Like is to never think that you ever stop learning yeah. that you ever stop needing to grow or to be better right and and that's why to your question i, I don't think i'm successful <laughs> well, but yes <laughs> like i said uh, at the beginning of the recording uh anybody that i think is anybody that i like would balk at that at that question and go i'm not successful because because <laughs> someone to say successful sounds like something is finished yes exactly and i think it's always a journey yeah. yeah, you can always do better. There's always something to do. You can always reinvent. Um, a business get to a certain point, you can probably bring that business to another level. Right. Um, if you think about the largest businesses today, there's still a lot that they can do. They can innovate. What's one question an interviewer never asked you, but you wish that they would? What's one topic that nobody ever touches upon that is really actually fundamental to the whole freaking thing? Well, I guess what do I lean on whenever, whenever things uh, feels... Like it's not going smoothly. And and what is that? What do you lean on when things are not going smoothly? Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I do genuinely believe that. And you told me it before. <laughs> off mic. But what come on. Yeah, let me tell you else. what that means. Yeah. So I think to me it's about um giving yourself space. 
giving mm. yourself so it's, it's cutting yourself some slack. I think it's that understanding that hey, things are not going to be always hundred uh, percent, and while while you have a, a certain sort of uh, I, I I like you know as you can tell I I have a, a certain expectation for myself mm. uh, in you know in order to um, deliver our best, do our best. You know I think I've I've since learned that you've got to be able to give yourself some space. And similarly, I think give give your team and and people um, appropriate space as well. Um, I think that's you know the yin and yang for strive for excellence. Interesting. So you got to strive for excellence. You got to give everything your hundred percent. You got to cut yourself some slack sometimes, or you burn out. Yeah, that's super interesting. <laughs> um, actually, talking of unwinding, something we never got to talk about, which I thought we would would come up, is another way you unwind, which is art. How has your interest in art uh, informed your life as an entrepreneur? Right. Um, if it has at all, maybe there's no crossover. <laughs> I think I think it definitely has had an impact on me personally and professionally. I think so. Um, since I was young, I think you um, just always living in that. And uh, whether it's painting, sculptures, and and these past two years, I've started doing a lot of pottery, and uh, I always find that process um, healing. I think most importantly is that you're always actually actually thinking when you're creating as you're thinking and you're observing, you're trying to morph it, you're trying to um, whether it's you're adding to it or subtracting from it, you're, you're, you're trying to steer it into what you have in mind. And I think that process is actually very a very good analogy for startup, like building a business. Mm, um, nicely said. Yeah. And I suppose, I don't know if this ever was a conscious thing, but famously, artists are never finished with their work and are never satisfied. This must have weighed in on your permanent beta mindset. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, see, quite a consistent person. <laughs> quite a consistent person. Are you ever satisfied with the canvas or are you always is that canvas permanently in beta? Uh, well, it depends on how many nights I've spent on it. <laughs> okay. If our listeners take away just one insight from this conversation that will help them build a better world, that will help them build a better business, what should it be? Um, having the belief that's the most important thing ultimately is is having the belief in yourself yeah, yeah. I think certain, a certain level I think um, at some level probably there's still some some naivety with, like, to, to how I uh, uh, think about life I, I still think that you know we can we can indeed change the world yeah hope and optimism yeah and maybe just a little bit of naivety yes <laughs> is that something if you don't have that hope and optimism and self-belief is it something that can be trained I think um, you can. You can certainly because I think everyone is good at something. Um, find, 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 find it, and have the confidence in that. Thank you, Joy. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Lee. That's it for another episode of Crazy Smart Asia. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to this, and please do leave us a rating and a review if you can. Next week, Lee will be talking to Danny Young, co-founder of digital health startup Prenetics. The two will discuss Danny's incredible journey from hanging out with Chinese gangs in San Francisco to founding Hong Kong's first unicorn company to publicly list. Until then, try to remember... It's like uh, the thing about you know, in dating, personal relationship. There's only that much you can change somebody. Thanks for listening.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.